Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message entitled Prepare the Way was given by Darren Rounson and is the third in our series, Advent. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, you need one. Or for all of you with iPhone apps, turn to YouVersion on your, just kidding, life group. Get your own Bible, just kidding. Hey, so grab a Bible, raise your hand. We're going to have some ushers, I think, maybe pass out some Bibles. That would be awesome. So raise your hand right now. Everyone has their own. Awesome. Okay, a couple up here. We're going to be reading a lot of text tonight, and I know some of you get bored by that. Um, too bad. Others of you are really excited, um, which is a good thing. So we're going, to be, we're going to be cruising through some of the Old and New Testament. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to explain a couple things. How many of you guys actually know what the word Advent means? Raise your hands. At, exactly. We keep using this word Advent. What is Advent? Well, Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which comes from the Greek word parousia, which simply means arrival or coming. And every year around this time, for the four weeks, four Sundays before Christmas, the Western and some of the Eastern liturgical churches, so millions of Christians, gather and kind of celebrate the season of Advent, of, of the Incarnation, as a way to prepare and to wait for Jesus Christ. That's what it is. So symbolically, we have four candles, um, which represent um, hope, peace, joy, and love, I think. Who can correct me? Anyone can correct me on that? I nailed it. My, my Anglican friends over here, did I get it right? Just kidding. <laughs> All right, got it right. So that's what, that's what Advent is. So we're continuing our little series on Advent. Um, last two weeks, we've kind of talked about the significance of slowing down and being present. Last week, Bill talked about um, just the, the significance of the incarnation and how um, God becoming flesh is, is a really big deal. And so uh, it's important that this season we're receiving Jesus. And so tonight, um, to continue kind of the story, we're going we're gonna to be looking and answering the question, really, how do we prepare for the coming of the Messiah? So uh, to begin, turn to Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. And I love the title of the Yellow Bible. It says the story of God. It's so appropriate. Oftentimes, I know for me, maybe not for some of you, we read the Bible in ways that we just get snippets. We get a couple verses here and there, and we miss the big picture of this thing. This is really one giant story um, with themes weaved throughout the entire Old and New Testament. And the Old Testament is, is rich, full of stories and, and narrative um, and, and it's fascinating because we, we often go into the New Testament thinking it's something else, but it's really a continuation. So if you look at the New Testament, which we will tonight, we've got to realize that that's like part three of a trilogy. It's like watching Lord of the Rings and, or, or, or Star Wars or whatever your favorite trilogy is, The Godfather or Twilight um, or whatever. <laughs> um, man, let's not even go there. But, um, but we, we have to understand that the New Testament has the Old Testament... Um, in, in, in its mind, in the lens of the authors. They're writing through that worldview. And it's, it's a beautiful story to think about the themes. For the themes, we've got to realize that God throughout the Old and New Testament, throughout history, is using men and women to reconcile, to redeem, to restore and renew all things to himself. That's what he's doing from Genesis to Revelation. It's the same thing. You see it through, through Abraham. He makes a promise. He says, I'm going to give you a nation your descendants are going to number the sand in the, in the sea, the sand on the ocean or whatever it is, something like that. Um, but he makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless the nations through you. And then he, and then he goes on and, and you see him separate the Israelites to become a, a nation of priests, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. 
And, and they're reminded by prophets, by, by the King David, time and time again that God will one day restore the entire nation, all things through this Messiah. And so you have these promises throughout the entire Old Testament. And I'm going to use words like epic and big and, and, and massive because this message tonight is to understand that the preparing the way of the Messiah is a big deal. It's an Old Testament understanding. Jesus' coming is the answer to thousands of, of years of, of Israelites praying. And it's this big deal that we get to enter into. And that's what this season kind of represents. This, it's not just Christmas. It's the story of Christianity. We have to realize that this is a, a huge story being written. And, the way, and it's, it's amazing because the New Testament comes along and Jesus does all of that. He begins to restore, renew, reconcile, and redeem all things. And then he passes that, that whole mission onto us, the church. And now our job, and we get this, right? Our job as followers, as, as the body of Christ, is to restore, renew, redeem, and reconcile all things to God. So that's kind of the big picture. But so um, turn with me to Malachi 3. It's in the Yellow Bible, uh, page 665. But time and time, these prophets are prophesying that one day the, the Messiah will come and the enemies of Israel will be defeated and everything will be restored to God and to the nation of Israel. These, these prophecies are coming through different prophets and through different people. And we come to Malachi, the last book in the entire Old Testament, the last prophet. And this is what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will, will be acceptable to the Lord as in, in days gone by and in the former years. So here we have this prophecy. It's the last prophet of uh, the book of Malachi. Malachi was the last Old Testament prophet until John the Baptist. And we're going to talk about him tonight. But we have this prophecy that the Messiah is going to come. But there's somebody that's going to come before him. He's a messenger. He calls him a messenger. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. Now go to the last verse in verse uh, in chapter 4 verse 5 in Malachi and guys please stay with me I, I I'm gonna um, weave in a bunch of scripture and and where we land tonight I think is really important for us as a community um, so uh, try to give me about 15 20 minutes and we'll be we'll be set um, verse 5 um, see I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike, uh, strike the land with a curse. And then it's the New Testament. The Old Testament ends with this promise. I will send a messenger, a prophet, who, who, will, be, who will have the power of Elijah. And he says that uh, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. The day of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah, will be inaugurated by this guy, this preparer. But then the, the Malachi ends, and the Old Testament ends, and there's 400 years of silence. Israel is barren. There's no, no one steps up as a prophet. God does not speak to the nation of Israel. 
and there's silence. And all of a sudden, as we read this story, we see this new thing called the New Testament. And turn with me to Luke chapter 1. As an Israelite, in the, first, in, in the Old Testament, in the first century, your prayers would have been, Lord, bring the Messiah, redeem Israel, restore Israel, defeat our enemies. As, an, as a Jewish person, you would go to temples and make those types of prayer. That was every single person's prayer in the Old Testament. They're waiting for the coming of the Lord. And it ends in, with, with a prophecy that there will be a man who comes. He will prepare the way of the Lord. And then we jump into Luke. Luke is a book we, ha- we haven't talked on yet, but um, we looked at Acts. Luke is the same author of Acts. He's a doctor. He's writing to a guy named Theophilus. And um, he's, a, he's a Gentile. He's not a Jewish uh, person. He's not an Israelite. But he writes with the entire Old Testament in his mind. So when we read passages of Luke, we have to realize that he's got this whole train of information that he's, he's totally he's putting it into what he's writing. And so we often miss it. So I'm going to do my best to, to explain what's going on. But look at verse 5. In the time Herod, king of Judea, um, were, I'm sorry, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. So the last book we have is Malachi, and all of a sudden Luke starts off writing to this guy Theophilus, and he's trying to give the account of what happened with Jesus in the New Testament church. And he starts off his story, and he he introduces a couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest, and he's blameless, and he he follows the Lord's commandments, and he's actually married to a a descendant of Aaron. And now this is especially important. For, for a priest to marry someone of a priestly descent, that made them uh, higher standings in Jewish culture. But what, what sucks, forgive the French, for them is that they're barren. And that's, for those of you that have had that experience where you haven't been able to have kids, um, it's, it's much worse in the Old Testament. That, ha- that meant that God um, showed disfavor on you, that there was something about you that, he, that wasn't satisfying to him. And so it was a big deal. It was like in the room. Always, wherever they go. So you have this amazing, amazingly old couple, who, who, and they don't have kids. And Luke introduces them. So their prayers, imagine what their prayers would have been like. And I want to pause, pause for a second. I, I love getting into the characters. I say this almost every time I talk, but I was an actor, and I love characterization. I love, as, as followers of Christ, we can begin to find ourselves in the story, understanding the feelings the emotions, the, the individual characteristics of, of characters in the Bible. These are real people. God chooses to answer this prayer, we're going to see, through just a couple who's barren. Their prayers become the answer to the whole nation. Now, let's continue the story. It says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the customs of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of, uh, the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, we read this and we're like, okay, I kind of get what's going on. There's 18,000 priests in Israel at the time. 18,000 divided into 24 different groups, 24 divisions. So about 750 priests would serve for two-week periods 
a week at a time for one year. So one, at a year at a time, they would serve once a, uh, twice a year for a week period. Does that make sense? So Zechariah, he's one of 750 priests who's living in the temple of Jerusalem, serving God, and he gets chosen by Lot, which is basically throwing dice, to go and do something that was pretty um, significant. To burn the incense before the Lord was such a big deal that you could only do it once in your entire life as a priest. So we follow this. But not only is he this priest in this kind of extraordinary position all of a sudden where he's burning this, but his wife is barren. You guys, are you catching the image, imagery right now? 400 years of silence. A barren wife. I'm going to just hint at it as we move forward. You've heard this story before. And then something happens in verse 11. He's about to do something. He's about to burn the incense. And it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was, grip, he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been, has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John, which means Yahweh has shown favor. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink, which is simply a Nazarite vow. It's what Saul and, and um, Samson did. I'm sorry, Samuel and Samson. It's the same vow. It's taking something really serious, basically. It's like as if you're going to fast from something. But he's following that vow, and he says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his birth. Many of the, uh, of the people of Israel, he will bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. Listen to what this angel says. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit of, and power of Elijah to turn the, the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. I think that's a polite way of saying she's old. That's funny. I just caught that. <laughs> just imagine if you're, if you're Elizabeth all of a sudden. You're, never mind. I'm just caught in the story. The angel answered, I love this. It's kind of funny. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. Maybe he'd do it differently. <laughs> and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and you will not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true in the proper time. So this is cra crazy. Zechariah is about to do his thing. He, f he sees an angel. And what angels say every single time, do not be afraid. Now Gabriel is an interesting angel. He actually is found in Daniel. He delivers a message to Daniel. In chapter 9 and 10 in the Old Testament. And the same thing happens to Daniel. He brings this, uh, Gabriel appears, Daniel's frightened, he says, don't be afraid. He gives him this message, and, and all of a sudden he's struck mute. And the message to Zechariah is that his son will become the person that prepares the way for the Lord. This is a big deal. It's like the climax is about to happen, and Zechariah's prayer for a child is answered. And the language that he's using is significant. He will go before him. He'll have the power of Elijah. You guys following? Thank you. We've got one of you. Um, but but this thing that's happening in this story is that it's painting something bigger. Zechariah is not being punished for not believing. Zechariah will become a miniature Israel. Israel for 400 years was barren. 
was, was pregnant, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And Zechariah will now go silent for nine months as he waits for his son to be born to prepare the way for the Messiah. And the story goes on. It says, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed uh, so long in the temple. When he came out, he, he could not speak. They realized that he saw a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them, but they, uh, they remained unable to, he remained unable to speak. The story ends with Zechariah being mute, Elizabeth being pregnant, and then Luke just cuts off and he goes right to Mary. I just, I just think we need, to, we need to understand the significance of what's going on in Scripture. I love that Luke takes pains to show us that the promises of Israel, of human history, are being answered in the prayers of two people. Lord, send us a child. And he uses Zechariah and Elizabeth to bring the preparer for the Lord. I love it. We're going to look at Mary next week, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at what happens there. But, so the story ends, but I want to pick up at John's birth. So flip over to verse 57. Are you guys following? Too much scripture? We doing good? Can't really tell. It's a little more silent tonight. Maybe it's a little more silent night. Just kidding. That was just, I'm just kidding. I'm going to do a break for a second. Um, Everyone's doing good. Hold on. I was, I was uh, preparing for the message. I was doing notes. I was at my brother's bachelor party this weekend. And I thought I was, um, I was just in one of the back rooms. And I thought, I must be one of the only pastors that prepares for his sermon in a liquor cabinet. Um, it was really cool. My wife and I were praying before the service, and I'm just like, wow, surrounded by hard alcohol. This is funny. Um, anyways, <clears throat> 57. When it, t- <laughs> Sorry. when it was time for Elizabeth to, to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown favor um, and had showed her great mercy, and she earned, I'm sorry, and they shared the joy. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he should be called John. Then they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has been named John. Then they, uh, they made signs to his father, who was mute, to find out what he would, he would like to name his child. He, he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Yahweh has shown favor. Immediately his mouth was opened his t- and his tongue was loosed. And he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who had heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord, Lord's hand was with them. And you can just imagine the tension, the, the mute father. And, and it's, this is what happens. There has been 400 years of silence, and, and, John, and Zechariah writes, his name is John, and all of a sudden, Zechariah will be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you'll have a word from the Lord for the first time in 400 years. Like an Old Testament prophet, it says this in verse 67, his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, listen to the words he uses, this is so beautiful, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come, or he has visited, and has redeemed his people, it's past tense. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. A horn is from Isaiah. It means a mighty deliverer. This is the Messiah in the house of his, his servant David. 
as he has said through his holy prophets a long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the, the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant and the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our, all our days. He's tying in that this promise from David, from Abraham, thousands of years ago is being answered through this birth, that this guy's going to inaugurate the Messiah. This is a big deal. And he, he continues on, and just imagine him turning to this, this child in tenderness. And he says, my child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give, him, uh, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. You guys recognize the language that he's using. I don't need to speak. I'm just trying to give you this massive picture to come to where we're going to go in just a second. Zechariah prophesies that his son is now this prophet that was promised long ago. And he uses the word peace. Jesus will come and bring that peace. But I just wonder. I think we, we, just, we always start with Jesus and we miss the whole story of waiting. Because just imagine if you were an Israelite. Imagine the day that would come when the, finally this prophet of this, this Old Testament prophet has come. And he's going to prepare the way. Just think really fast. What would preparation look like? What do you think? What could you imagine? And remember, the Messiah imagery of the Old Testament is that the Messiah is going to come and it's going to be a war. This Messiah is going to redeem all of the nation. He's going to put the enemies under their footstool. This will be a kingdom of priests. He will raise Israelites. They will be the rulers. And the, the Messiah will become the king of Israel or the king of the earth. What would preparation look like? What do you anticipate? What are you expecting? Okay, one more. Luke chapter 3. Verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of I, I, I'm sorry, Iteria and Trachonitis, and Licinius Tetrarch of Albaline, during the, during the high priesthood of Annas, and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Whew. I had to do a bunch of like pronunciation practice for that one, and I still blew it. Do you guys, if you wanted to introduce a prophet in the Old Testament, this is what you would do. You would do exactly what Luke does. If you're going to introduce a boxer in, in a corner, you would say, you know, on this side we have so-and-so, 600 pounds, you know, 6 foot 5, 3-0, and or whatever it is. You guys following me? That's the context. Luke is setting up this prophet. It's a big deal. Believe me, I'm, I'm trying to hype this up because I think the delivery, it's going to land. Not where we want it. That's what's frustrating about this tonight. So John the Baptist comes and he says, He went into all the countryside around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book um, of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths of him. For him, every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough way smooth, smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. He is setting John up. This is what he's doing. It's a prophecy. It's, it's, I mean, it's as big as you can make it. And, jo- and John's here. John said to the crowds coming out um, to be baptized by him, he gives them this really lighthearted message. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John is saying a, a message of salvation and judgment. He's saying to the nation of Israel, this is, this is a nation that has the favor of God. Because they're born as a descendant of Abraham, they are already blessed by the promise that God made to Abraham. Because they're born into that law, they have people already sacrificing for them. They have a system set up that gives them favor. And John's message is to them, prepare the way. He says, keep in life, be, live in a way that produces fruit, keeping in and with pr- repentance. And he's saying, don't just, don't just lean on the fact that you're Abraham's followers. I wonder if that relates to us. Don't just lean on the fact that you're saved by faith. Some of us might hear that, right? I'm, sorry, I'm trying to tie in something. But for I tell you, it's sarcastic that these, God can raise up his children out of these stones. It's just ridiculous. His message is, is just this fiery thing. But this is what I wanted to get to. And forgive me for, for stumbling through this point because it is stumbling for me because it's semi-anticlimactic, uh, and here's the delivery tonight. How do we prepare for Jesus? How do we prepare for the, for the Messiah? This prophet is the last of the Old Testament prophets, and he's got this message that's so profound. He's just saying, um, live a life that's in line with repentance. But what does it look like? How do you produce fruit? What do you expect? How do you line yourself up to follow this Messiah? This is what he says to the followers. What shall we do then? The crowd said, um, John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also were baptized and they said, teacher, they asked, what should we do? And he says, don't collect any more than you are required to. Then some soldiers who had all the authority and power in the Roman Empire to do whatever they wanted to individuals, he says to them, and, uh, they asked, what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. I don't have a catchy ending, but this frustrates me. What do you mean? The preparation for the Messiah should be, let's get our lives together. You've got to give us the, the way, the roadmap. I'm pulling out my sword. He says, be generous. Be honest. And be content. That's not fair. Be generous. Be honest. And be content. It's so cliche to come to church and expect to hear a message, four ways to not encounter Christmas stress. You 
You know, as a pastor, I think it's much easier to say preparation is that I get accolades, right? I should prepare. There's something else. I got to do something else. But Jesus is saying to us, be generous. Or I'm sorry, John is saying the preparation for the Messiah is to be generous, to be honest, and to be content. You guys see this massive story? Abraham, Malachi, 400 years of silence. Finally, a prophet comes out of, out of the woods and his message isn't to take up arms. His message is simple. It's in line with Jesus' message. It's about living a life that shows people you're children of God. And it doesn't happen through preaching at people. It doesn't happen that way, friends. It happens through generosity, through honesty, and through contentment. I mean, um, I don't have really anything clever towards how this, this hit me, to be honest. There's nothing extraordinary. But I always like to say, how does this message look in my life? Well, as I sat with this, um, God just revealed some things to me. I, I am easily persuaded by the culture that says you can, have, you can have whatever you want. Even if you don't have it, you can put it on credit to get it, right? It's not contentment. And this is what hit me the most. I, I thought, Lord, am I generous? And immediately it goes to finances, right? But do I really share? Or do I have ownership over my things? So for me, what does it look like? Well, for me, I, I asked my wife, I, I had a conversation. I said, you know, I really want to be involved in to the generosity of our family. Sometimes we have a lot of people over. We like to make meals. Or my wife likes to make meals. She likes to host but I realize that I'm just so unattached to my generosity. I don't write the checks to the, to the church. I don't have to. My wife does that. How is it for you? How does this land tonight? Do you find yourselves a part of a bigger story? It's fascinating because um, Zechariah's prophecy says that um, the visitation of the Messiah has come. He says that the God has visited. And he uses that word on purpose. Because in Luke 19, Luke, uh, Jesus is going to come into Jerusalem and he's going to weep for Jerusalem. And guess why he weeps? And he says this, because you have missed the visitation of the Messiah. And so for this Advent, for tonight, Brian's going to come up and lead worship with the band. I want, to re- I want to rest in some contemplative thought for a second. How are we missing it? It's always the Christmas countdown to day 25. Some of us are completely neglecting it. We don't even think we have something to do. Some of us are expecting something else to come, but Jesus is just saying, today... Generosity, honesty, and contentment. So the challenge tonight is this. Where in your life are you generous? Are there places in your life that you have to repent from the dishonesty, even with yourself, towards what generosity might look like? That was me. And are we content?
Lord, we make things Lord, we just miss the point and we get it. We miss the point. Jesus, I ask tonight you would just rest with us. What do you want to do with us, Lord? Some of us Lord, I just, I just pray right now that you would do the work. Holy Spirit, we, we will just release you tonight to move how you want to move. Just wait for you, God. I pray, Lord, for us to receive you right now. Help us to prepare, Lord. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from the garden, or would like to find out more about the Garden Church, please visit our website at thegardenlb.org.